Hi everybody and welcome to episode number 22 of the Puri Puri Podcast. 22! Goldberg! Why me? It's our worst <laughs> intro that we have ever had on this show and I'm not editing it out. That was our best. I, I, I've used it. I'm pretty sure I used that in work at one point. That was a goal for us. But I'm keeping in. I'm, you're not re okay, Yeah, obviously. No, no. I'm, I, I never do a second take. I'm like those uh, old lazy actors you hear about. The, this um, intro very much is the Triple H Orton wrist lock of podcasting. Just so much build and then just, just this. Um, yeah, oh. so, um, yes. Hello. Hello, everyone. We're, uh, we're back on the numbered episode now. And we are back on Match Microscope after our a brief foray into Japanese wrestlers in uh, UK wrestling. We are back to our fifth match microscope, which for the uninitiated is where where one of us picks a match that we really, really like and we just discuss it in detail. So they're uh, intended to be shorter episodes than the uh, average. But before we get on to what match it is, I would like to introduce, as always, my co-host, David Daniel. How are you doing? All right. pretty good. 6.7 out of 10, probably. Yeah, like um, a, a, a little peek behind the curtain. We actually re- record, we originally recorded this in like autumn 2019, <laughs> and like we've had to re-record it. So four weeks later on, so I'm really looking forward to Fissel challenging for the championship and Jenny McCormick becoming prime minister, um, <laughs> and you know being able to like lick door handles and stuff. I'm actually like it's my my main passion in life at this point. So um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, well. it's play, but it's it's plain sailing for Thistle from here on out, right? Oh, I absolutely, yeah. No legal challenges whatsoever in the future. <laughs> Please save me. Less an introduction than a cry for help, but I'm, I'm glad we've uh, got there. I'm uh, George Thompson, as ever. Definitely my real name and not pseudonym. Uh, so the match we are covering today is from Pro Wrestling Noah on the 6th of June 2003, and it is Yuji Nagata versus Akira Tawe. Uh, I think this is the second Pro Wrestling Noah match we have covered on the podcast after the uh, legendary classic that is Mr. Christmas versus Kevin Mask. I mean, that was the sexy ninety four of Noah, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, I think most people would agree. If you're gonna, if you're gonna cover Noah, that's your go to. Everything else is just a kind of a, a pale and amusing oh. derivative, as Whispering Bob Harris once said of the uh, New York Dolls, comparing them to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Um, so basically the reason I this is my, my choice by the way the reason I chose this match is in a kind of roundabout way it's the reason for this podcast existing at all because when uh, Daniel and myself met we it was at a Rev Pro show and I want to say 2014 or 2015 around about that time and uh, uh, I, my partner Sarah got talking to Daniel I'm, I'm not really the sort of person who uh, starts conversations uh, but uh, got talking and um, Daniel and myself started bonding over this match because uh, I had watched it quite recently. I think it was relatively fresh in uh, in Daniel's mind. And then we became friends on Facebook, started the uh, I Maintained a Double Foot Stomper Silly Facebook group, which is where the podcast arose out of. So, uh, yeah, I, I do credit this match in part with the formation of this podcast. So if you if you want any... You credit this match. I credit the enormous amount of book fast that I drank before I got into... Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Got, I, got, I got into your call. <laughs> you were not insignificantly melted at the time. Was this the famous York Hall show where you missed Redacted doing a double moonsault because you passed out in your chair? No, that was... Uh... <laughs> no, that, that was... I think that was in a three-way with AJ Styles and Marty Skull. No. Right. Uh, God, AJ Styles is the least cancelled of those three. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, th- this this was the, um, the first time... I think it was the first time that Okada had been booked for Rev Pro. 
could be it wrong. Was, and he wrestled Joel Redman of uh, old fan. <laughs> yeah, of old people. So uh, yeah, it, essentially, um, this is this is uh, one of the uh, this is the reason for the season. So uh, also, it's a great match. Hence why I, if we'd have, if we'd have brought it over some actual garbage, like I'm not saying that would have prevented me from nominating it for this episode, but it would have made it a lot less palatable. But yeah, Yuji Nagata versus Akira Tawe in Pro Wrestling Noah. Now, both these men have featured on the podcast before, Akira Tawe in the very first episode, and Nagata cropped up during the New Japan Yudaloo FI feud that we covered in episodes four to seven, and also probably in the New Japan Rambo or two that we uh, covered for our uh, Wrestle Kingdom episodes. So, yeah, not new to the podcast, but um, this is a very interesting match in that it was an interpromotional one. Uh, Noah were certainly not as isolationist as All Japan had been under uh, Giant Barber for most of its uh, most of its uh, history. They weren't certainly not averse to bringing in outside talent, and Yuji Nagata was one of those who made the biggest impact uh, following this match. He would go on to win the Global League, which is their equivalent of the G1, and uh, become the GHC heavyweight champion as well. And uh, I think a couple of years after this, he would have a very, very good match for the GHC heavyweight title, challenging Kenta Kabashi in his legendary two-year-long reign. And that is one of the best matches in that reign for my money. So Nagata was incredibly over as a as an invading uh, sort of semi-heel. Um, Akira Tawe, meanwhile... Uh, I think it's probably fair to say, and do uh, do pull me up on the, on this if I've spoken out of turn, but out of the main four guys who came across from All Japan to know, these being uh, Junakiyama and the Four Pillars minus uh, Kawada, who was busy with his ramen shop, um, I would say that Tawei certainly has the fewest great standout matches in Pro Wrestling Noah of the four, because he was kind of winding down, really, even by 2000. You say that though, but what I would say as well is that right. I, I'll be full, fully honest here and say I watched this about twenty five minutes before we started recording this. Right? <laughs> um, I loaded it up on YouTube and um, uh, put in Nagata Taui, and it came up. And all the other sort of search ones were all Taui Noah matches against like Akiyama and Kabashi and stuff like. That. And there was a whole bunch of them. I was like. Fucking hell, Tui did have some really, really good matches in Noah. Like, like I mean, really... yeah, he, he had a title reign in two thousand six. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think he was like he, he had he had big performances in him still, as this match demonstrates. But he certainly had to uh, to ration them, and for the most part, he was content to play a sort of giant barberish role in that he was in the sort of a multi man tag on the undercard to do a few big spots. Um, uh, I mean, so yeah. I think I think you could argue really sort of you, you could make a point here I think probably before we get into the match itself about Tawei in general and I, I think that in many ways Tawei is someone that um, in his singles work I mean not not in his his, his his tag work or multi-man work at all but in his singles work you could very much make an argument that Tawei is the is um is is the the wrestler who probably um uh, most of all reveals the inadequacies of what you might call the great match theory of judging of, of judging mm-hmm. wrestlers in the sense that um Tawei might not have uh, as many singles matches that um hit that you know what would be a sort of the, the the commonly accepted criteria you know as much as you can get one for what a five star match might be for example um but he very much stays at that you know three point nine four like level consistently um and has matches that are very interesting and unorthodox and don't always rely 
on the same formulas necessarily that some of his contemporaries um, um, do for, for good or ill. So I actually think that he's he's actually as someone who's positioning wrestling history as a singles worker is actually really interesting to to look at, and this match is a good example of of that. I think. Yeah, I mean, you certainly get something different from him than you necessarily would for, in a singles environment from Misawa Kawada and Kabashi, just because the way he wrestles is 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 quite dissimilar from those guys. Like he's got, we, I think we've we've talked about it before quite a lot on the podcast, but he has this kind of casual violence to him. Like he's he, he looks like he's going to be a big lumbering brute, and you know, don't get me wrong, he is that uh, in in a sense, but also he will deal out this this brutality. That it can, it, can, it it doesn't come across as calculated. It comes across as more of a force of nature. Um, like he's he's a very good immovable object, and there's a lot of spots in this match that uh, uh, show that. So yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, it's absolutely no surprise to literally anyone who has ever listened to me in this podcast. I'm a huge fan of Akira Tawe because he's like we. I always talk about a mobile tree man, like Kali and stuff like that that I appear with. This is a mobile tree man, right? <laughs> And like, <laughs> like he he can move. Like I'm not saying he is the amazing red, right? Clearly he's not, but he can move. And like I, I have lots of points to make about Towie. And just generally, this is a real love letter to Towie for me. This match and like in this podcast about why I absolutely love him because I think for most people. I, kind of building on what Daniel said about how like, the match structure, Towie is the most unconventional of the four pillars and for right or for wrong he is either praised or, or more often criticised for it. There's always a compar- the you know the, the criticism level that he's the lowest of the four pillars. I, I, I completely disagree with it. I don't think you should really look at it in the quantifiable you know, a quantifiable thing like that, where I know who is the worst of the four pillars. It's not. It's not really about that. The whole point is, is that they all work in tandem. And like, when you watching this match, I'll get. I'll just go into now because I'll forget to say earlier. Watching this match really showed me that Towie is the glue in those big tag matches. The Holy Demon Army versus Misawa and Kabashi or Akiyama. Uh, Towie is just as vital a part as Kawada or Masawa. He really holds a lot of this stuff together and that he fills in sort of dead air that maybe when Masawa and Kawada, I know obviously that's a big sexy feud, when they're not in the ring, Towie's sort of doing a lot of the work there and like he, he's really, really good at it. And in this match as well, you can exactly see just how good he is because obviously... The, this is during the you know the current hellscape era um, of the world where wrestling is. I think we can all agree wrestling is fucking terrible, right? Both in terms of to watch and to read about at the moment. Like it's all awful. There, there there's no, there's nothing good about it. And I think I, I probably speak for a lot of people when I say I'm fucking sick of wrestling. However, watching this match, my overwhelming reaction was, "Fuck, do you mind wrestling?" Mind how good wrestling was. Like, this match really made me just remember why I enjoyed wrestling. Like, why I do this podcast. Why I have written stuff on, on you know, online and stuff about it. And, you know, this, this, this match really explained to me why. Because I loved it so much. And, like, I always remember this is, um, I think it was, I can't remember. I think it was when Newcastle were going for the title. Uh, this is a really strange tangent. 
I always remember there was a line of commentary where they get four minutes of added time in a game they needed to win, and somebody says, like, oxygen to a drowning man, right? This, to me, was oxygen to a drowning man, because I watched this, and I was just like, yeah, I remember why I love wrestling. It's, it's stuff like this. So, um, so what you're saying, David, is that is that Tawe was very much occupies a position not unlike David Hasselhoff's character in Baywatch on the beach, <laughs> uh, um, with the with the red trunks and the uh, the the being the savior of those who are struggling in the deep choppy waters. He he he'll be there. He'll be there. <laughs> the uh, I, I mean the, the yeah they they are called the four pillars for a reason. As uh, Samson found out to his cost, if you, if you get rid of one of the pillars, the fucking roof will collapse on your head. What uh, what shitty pseudo architects have we got online that they're building? You know the Acropolis with one pillar less than the other. That's not how buildings work. Like, come on, guys! Like, you 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 never you'll never work in Athens again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Designed ten thousand temples, never drew a drachma. <laughs> Phenomenal scenes. This is the thing, though, because I'm never quite sure, because like obviously, you know, like, like any other kind of fandom, like being a wrestling fan means that, you, you know, there's going to be several little sort of sub-genres and little micro-clusters of like fandoms that you can fall into, right? So, like, obviously, in the kind of... Uh, I mean, I'm not really involved in any fan communities as much as I used to be back in the day. Um but you know, there's like loads of little different micro scenes that you can inhabit, and certainly in the ones that I, I inhabited at my height of sort of fandom, um, uh, you, you know, like sort of three or four years ago, and I was actually really involved in in sort of forums and things and discussing things on um, uh, there. Um, for in, in most of the circles that I would move in, like um, you know, Tawe was generally given the the respect that I I, I think he deserves, and he's always going to ha- be, you know, he is one of the four pillars, and that's just it. He's been in, he's been in some of the you know subjectively in terms of the historical record, critically great matches that have ever taken place um he is up there in terms of i think the how the, the augustness of his name um but i do think that there is this sense that when a lot of people that sort of get into uh, the, the four pillars of, um, or all japan of that era at first they do tend to i think maybe not even deliberately but you know he just doesn't crop up in conversation as much because like you said he isn't as flashy as, as the other guys but I, I completely agree with what you said david like th- this guy for someone for me, where my fandom is now, you know, flashiness um, and and sort of like that—that's not really going to grab me. I like the 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 fundamental mechanics of how to put together a really entertaining, good match. Are the things that so many people just don't do these days. And you can have all the moves in the world, but if you, you know, Tawe will show you how to put. There's a there's a section in this match near the, near the start where he's basically only done a boots to the face for um for like a whole you know for for minutes, long periods of time. But they've all been so perfectly timed and his reactions to everything that Nagata done has been like so brilliant to watch that like this guy is like the guy that's sort of like, you know, he's like um, uh, a football player, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or someone, right? Now, he, he's, he's nowhere near as graceful as someone like that. But in the attitude that they share, which is like, you know, why on earth should I run around like a headless Jordan Henderson chicken? For like 20 minutes, right? Doing a lot of like, you know, making a big scene of something when I can just do this one big, nicely timed boot and that will make everything like, you know, and that's the sign of a great wrestler. So I kind of think that he's both weirdly like he's, he's acknowledged as to, in the pantheon of where he should be, but also weirdly underrated. <laughs> and I think it's a really unique position for him to be in. And I think it is down to that, as JR might say back in the day, talking about William Regal, an orthodox style. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, uh, getting into the uh, getting into the, uh, the the entrances were good. Like, Noah shows at this time. I mean, they hadn't even had a Tokyo Dome show yet, so it was uh, very much a, uh, a start-up. I should believe this is um, at uh, Gayfield in Arbroath. Uh, you can see the wind blowing out the flame at the start. <laughs> uh, this was at the uh, Nippon Budokan, actually. So, Nippon um, So it's a big uh, 16,000-ish uh, crowd. So th- those would be their big shows at the time. Uh, they, they certainly weren't running the Dome yet. Um but like you can, you can get the sense of the scale of this show. Like there's uh, more, more flaming torches than a fash rally in uh, in uh, in Charlottesville. Um, you've got um, like just like good, good production value. Probably not the sort of thing that uh, all Japan would have uh, forked out for, as a matter of course. It's weird though because like with us, it's not like going to see fucking Madonna at one concert or anything. It's not a pure big huge razzle dazzle or anything like that. It's it's quite understated. But it really, really works, and it really adds a bit of gravitas to it. And yeah, I, I, I just thought it was uh, really great, and just the way they shot the crowd and stuff like that was really, really good. And yeah, it makes it feel, it makes it feel epic. Did you we, did you happen to see who the seconds were as well for uh, both the wrestlers? No, I, I, I was trying to work this out at first, but like um, I didn't have time to go back and pause it. But um, I, I looked up and I did think I should uh, try and try and recognize who they were. But did you get who, who it was? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's Takashi Sugiura for uh, Tawei, who was uh, I don't know if he'd made his debut at this point uh, yet even, but like he was uh, sort of a, a, a trainee or young boy or whatever at this time. And for uh, Nagato, it was a uh, baby Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I thought yeah, I knew, no. I thought I did recognise who that was, but yeah, Nakamura is one of those people that really does did look a lot more different when he was younger. You know, some people yeah, kind absolutely. of keep the same look as they get older, but he really did look different physically. I mean, he, he would be Nakamura would be IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Uh, not a huge amount of time after this, based on the uh, old Enokiism booking of uh, if you have done halfway well in an MMA fight uh, against a miscellaneous <laughs> Gracie Failson, you too could yeah. be IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Amazing though, isn't it? When you think about it, when you think about like Nakamura these days, and like sort of most people, I think would think of Nakamura as his uh, in his um, you know uh, uh, sort of Michael Jackson pants phase, his and imperial his defining, Michael Jackson pants phase. Yeah. I think of him in his defining match, that Symphony of Destruction match against Braun Strowman and Drew Gulak. If you might not believe us, if you uh, don't watch wrestling of of this time period, but like for years and years, Nakamura was thought of as really boring. It's also really interesting you bring up about the whole Enochiism and sort of fighting MMA fighters and stuff like that because Nagata really got the rub from that. Nagata's probably, I would say, the most successful wrestler to kind of come out of that, that sort of project because he I, fought Crocott and Pride and got absolutely fucking millered. But yeah, that's true. I, I would say escaped from that project rather than came out of it. Yeah, yeah, but like he, he, he got the, the title... I think as a reward, basically, for getting absolutely fucking murdered in Pride. Yeah. And he was able to show that. And he, he got a run with it. And, like, he really led the company through what many would call their darkest days. Certainly, like, people were leaving in droves in terms of, like, audience and stuff like that. And he was giving it. And he's kind of steadied the ship a bit. And, yeah. like, it is arguable that without Nagata, they would have, they would have went down. Yeah, he so, was the top guy uh, before Tanahashi. No, absolutely. I mean, it, this, this, there's a reason why they'd send him to other promotions to uh, be an, an ambassador for the uh, for the company. Um, this was just half after uh, the match proceeding. This was Misao versus Takuma Sano. <laughs> just what? looking at this card. <laughs> I really wow. want to watch that. So th- was this the main event? No, no. The main event Jesus was... Christ. Um, Kenta Kabashi and Tamon Honda winning the tag titles... From Junakiyama and Akitoshi Saito. 
Wow, that would be great. And yeah, especially yeah, at that I, time. I so that'd like, be around about uh, the time that Tabo and Honda had this match with Kabashi down the line. Uh, yeah, it would have uh, the Honda Kabashi match would have happened a couple of years after this. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, fair, uh, absolutely. Actually, no fucking hour. Kabashi was the champion at this time, wasn't he? I'm getting my years mixed up. Yeah, right. so like his Tabo and Honda, the, the, the Tabo and Honda Kabashi match is probably my favorite of the Kabashi run. And like, oh, Tabo and Honda it's, it's was brilliant. It's really it's good. So good. Yeah. And he like Tabo and Honda is so underrated in terms of like people. Don't ever speak about him, and he had so yeah, he was really, really good because he wasn't that good when he started, and he kind of came into his own and Noah, and like he was perfectly functional. I would, I felt that it was certainly far more fitting of the the belt than uh, Riccio, put it that way. But oh, um, bloody hell, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, I think most uh, people that would have been a great <laughs> event, yeah. The uh, so, so as far as the match goes, like um. An incredibly, incredibly good hot start. I mean, it begins with a test of strength, which is uh, quite protracted, and they're sort of doing big boy stuff. Really and then, my favourite test of strength. strength. It's so, so good. Right. Oh, I love it. And then just a little flash of action, like Tawei does a crescent kick and uh, counters Nagata's wrist lock with David's favourite move of all time, the great Carly brain chop. I mean, it's the, the greatest pure striker in professional wrestling. <laughs> the great Kali being paid homage by Akira Tawi here. And this kind of shows what I mean about him being a mobile tree man in that a lot a lot of him, Akira Tawi and great Kali are functionally wrestled the same style. They, they, they yeah. have the same style. It's just, the great Kali has gigantism to the degree that is it hurts when he gets up in the morning and literally can't like do any moves. Akira Taui can do moves. Akira Taui is deceptively quick in terms of for his size. He is really really good at these sort of things in that it doesn't look like lightning fast, but he's always on the beat and like he never misses a beat and like he's he's really really good and like it just shows you that. Uh, again, like a lot of people make a wail on Cali because they don't like his matches because of his styles. It, this shows that sort of style can be very effective and can be very good if you know, you have if you if you have the physical capabilities to do it. Tawi's like the, the archetypal tree man, and I, I I love him like in terms of like I, I love the style. I love the style as it is, but I love it when Tawi does it. He is the absolute pinnacle of this sort of style, and he's so good at it. But there's a really good moment. But when you when you say that about about Kali, like I I, I know like you, you said that we might think that's a bit mad, but like I mean it's not that mad because I mean there's a lot I think there's a, there's a lot of Baba in Tawei as well. Um, I mean obviously you know Baba would have been a um uh, a role model to you know all, oh, yeah. all four all four of the four pillars. But in terms of the actual in ring work, I think Tawei. Maybe not precisely, but there's echoes of, um, of of the way in which Baba goes about structuring a match, and the way in which, like you said, David, you know, things like the strikes and things in which you know for years, and well, we've been through this on this show before. Big Bunny Melts has got a lot to answer for here because for years, I think a lot of people that never seen a Baba match grew up with the notion that um, before um, the Four Pillars in All Japan, there was Baba matches, uh, and Baba was uh, was was shit because he was big and unwieldy and and, and was slow. Right, because that's that, that's what Melts basically said, you know, and it's yeah. bollocks, like you know, absolute bollocks. Baba was a great worker, 
Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's re reflected in a lot of Tawei stuff here, like the, uh, the, the head chop, uh, like some of the, uh, the, the stuff he does in the corner with the boots and the, uh, and, and the chops and things, you know, it's like, it's, it's, un again, it's ungainly, um, but, um, it, it all, it all has, has impact and it makes sense because he is, he's a sort of lumbering kind of look, but he's a terrifying one. You know, and I think there's a lot of babber in in, in 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 him as well. So, you know, it's not quite Carly, but it's another sort of giant, albeit a much smaller one. <laughs> I still uh, think know. that like Tawi for me was sort of Baba Baba realizing his potential. If you know what I mean, in the sense that like we're having that sort of dynamic potential whereby like he was able to go to he was able to take what go after Baba and take what he had used. And he was just a bit more able and able to get a bit more out of it than Baba. And he kind of built on that base that Baba had and made it even better. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Four Pillars worked so well is because if you had another sort of Kawada or Masawa in there, I don't think it would have been as effective. But this sort of breaking up style, it really worked really effectively. And I think that it was a stroke of genius of Baba building the, the sort of company around these three guys and Towie and, and having that sort of hearkening back to Baba's matches, keeping that sort of heritage, but also being able to ramp it up a bit and have that sort of, not not work rate, because that makes me sound like I'm on fucking wrestling for them, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of the match quality, it was able to, they were able to hang, but he was also have to have a lot of the sensibilities of Baba matches that worked really well when he was a wrestler, a, a sort of a top-level wrestler. Yeah, yeah, he's he's he, he's mid to late period Baba, but like you know, um, uh, uh, the, the the most sort of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the most um, kind of a streamlined uh, and effective uh, 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 version of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was known as Mini Baba um, earlier in his career, so like, yeah, you need you the the whole idea of the uh, of the King's Road was that they were building upon what they're doing in the past, but also what the uh, what the company had done. So, uh, yeah, absolutely having a guy like Taue really made sense. And also Taue defending the honour of the company against an invader like Nagata. Like, I mean, think how much less effective this match would have been with someone like, I don't know, Kentaro Shiga or, um, or Chikumisano <laughs> or, or, or even Akiyama, to be honest with you. Like, Taue very much re represents this, uh, sort of soul of, of the, of the company, which is in, in many ways as we've, Often joke the continuity of all Japan. So um, I mean, as far as uh, Tawei being a, a tree man goes, like I really like the uh, the bit in the opening where they sort of uh, it's like uh, yeah, Tawei does a boot and then Nagata does a boot, but Nagata bumps off of Tawei, but Tawei just uh, gets kicked in the face and just stumbles back into the boat. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! So it really gets the sense of that he's more difficult to uh, knock over than uh, Nagata, and then they just start slapping the shit out of each other, which. Uh, I really liked, and then like it's wonderful, it's wonderful. It's just you just fucking <laughs> knocking fucking yeah, just tearing off the the crowd. The crowd's really hot for it as well. And uh, the other thing is that um, they they make you realise that this is going to be a, uh, a sprint, not a marathon. And I think the match is about fifteen minutes, which for a semi main is not especially long for a no at the time. I would have said, but Tawei does uh, the uh, the Origa Tawei, which is his uh, backdrop dropped into a choke slam, like really really early on. In the match, and he actually he actually hits the move as well, rather than having it countered. And Nagata manages to uh, bail from the outside and uh, like act real dead from an Irish whip when he's uh, back in the ring as uh, Tawei chokeslams him again. So like he's he's throwing out fucking finishes in the second minute. So you know this isn't gonna be uh, this isn't gonna be a Broadway by any stretch. 
one thing I noticed as well that really, really put it over, you, you kind of looking at, like, sort of developing on your theme of, you know, Nagata's boots and Mutaui's harder to knock down and stuff like that. Nagata's selling this is incredible. The, oh, yeah. the pin, the kickouts especially, are some of the best kickouts I've seen in a long, long time. They're done with such urgency. I think a lot of people think that a good kickout is 2.99999, right? Where, like, the very last second, the fucking absolute ball here away from losing, that kickout, that is the best kickout. And it's not necessarily the case. Nagata, he kicked out with urgency at a two. It was well it was well before the three in terms of, you know, pike seconds between two and three. But the way he kicks out, he kicks out with such authority and force. As, and it really looks like he's had to fucking pull out of the reserve tank to kick out after one choke slam, which, based in, like, all Japan and Noah, a lot of their matches are based on, you know, multiple finishers and developing finishers and counters to finishers and encounters to the counters and stuff like that and kind of building on these arcs. This is kind of just chucked all that out the window and is going, right, he's got a choke slam. It's really fucking powerful. I had to use all my energy to get out of it. And the rest of the match, you see him, like, selling... And he's selling it like he's been hit by a bus. And it's great. And like, that's one choke slam. And like, so many, I think some people take for granted a lot of the time, especially in New Japan, they'll hit a, hit a finisher, it'll be a two, everyone will go, oh, and then stamp their feet on the ground. And then like, you know, that, that's a just rope kick out. This really worked because it was really early. It, he kicked out with authority. It really looked like he had to make an effort to kick out. It wasn't just, right, this is my time to kick out. It was, fuck, I need to kick out now. And he'd done this for every kickout, and it really, really worked in terms of it really made Towie look like a fucking beast because he was hitting with all these moves and Nagata was struggling to get out. And I, yeah, I thought Nagata selling this was exceptional. Yeah, I mean, the, the opening of this match reminds me of if, if you're playing football manager and you've got like this really intricate game plan for the, for the big match and you spend ages working on it, and then like you're 2 0 down in six minutes. You have to, you have to do, you, you can't just keep going with the same thing. What Nagata has done is press the proverbial get creative button. <laughs> show some yeah. passion. Show some show passion, Nagata. Nakamura <laughs> shouting show some passion from the sidelines. <laughs> Nakamura <laughs> the halftime team talk, Eugene Nagata looked fired up. Yeah. But you know, it's like it's what I I I really like. It's one of my favorite sort of like tropes, and I'm glad it's it's underused because it shouldn't be overused because then then it, then it won't become as um as interesting and as different. At the start of a match, a wrestler hits a signature or um, a finisher or a big move, and you and you and it and it makes the other guy have to go through a period of working underneath. Um, after that, you know, it's it, it's 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 a different way of structuring a match, and it, it it gives you that feeling that anything can happen. You know, um, an example of this was um, uh, there's a great match that I want to give a uh, props to uh, that I was reminded of, completely different kind of match, but just just with the opening. Um, one of the best brawls that I've seen all year was a match in Southern Honor Wrestling, which is a US um, indie promotion between William Huckabee and uh, Joe Black. Um, which is a phenomenal match and has some amazing promo footage um, uh, that they did to build it up before. If you if you want to watch it, but it's um, it's uh, a comp- it's a no holds barred uh, sort of dog collar street fight uh, uh, match. And at the very start of the match, when you think it's going to go off like these matches normally, do, they're going to lay into each other. It's going to be a bit of a brawl. Um, uh, instead, what happens is I think it's William Huckabee just turns around and lamps the ref. Like that's the first thing that happens. He just lamps the ref, and the ref <laughs> just goes straight down. And you just think, 
fuck, well, anything could happen here. Like, I, I, obviously, this is Noah, so you're not going to get anything like that. But it, it, it's it's similar to that. You know, you, you, you think, oh, shit, well, if it starts like this, with this much chaos and this much sort of like, you know, uh, of Nagata having to really sell his ass off and, and work underneath, we're, we're going to see a really sort of interesting match here. And that moment that you alluded to, George, where he's, um, I think it's after he's been chokeslammed outside the ring. Um, in a, in, in a, What I loved about this was that uh, in in uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite moments in wrestling, which is the incredibly meek way in which at WrestleMania three, um, uh, Hulk Hogan uh, exposes the concrete uh, yes. when he uh, he takes up the mat, uh, and here uh, Tawei does that, um, and he, uh, he he does the choke slam. But then what makes this is when, like you said, Nagata gets back in the ring, and I think he goes for an Irish whip or something or, or something like that, yeah, and yeah. Nagata just straight up boom hits the, hit, 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 hits the mat, can't move, and it's a delayed reaction sell. Which is really believable because you think you know the guy's got adrenaline, then he's gonna like you know maybe take it, try and get back into to beat the count, and then he's like, no, I'm in, I've done that, boom, just hit the deck, uh, and it's brilliant, it's 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 really 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 great, um, and from that point in, you you're already just completely hooked in this I, match, you know. I especially liked the outside choke slam. It it was quite meek in the sense that it wasn't a very good choke slam. In fact, it was quite a terrible choke slam. He literally just grabbed him by the throat and just like pushed him down. But as well as that, because it kind of had that fragility to it, you're like, fuck, he could just drop him in his neck right now and just kill him. Like, it didn't look focused in a way where you, you felt it didn't look safe in the sense that you felt that it could just completely go to shit and, like, Nagata could hurt himself. And I quite like that in that it didn't look very effective. But because of the way it was done, you're kind of like, that wasn't to plan. That, it, and, like, it probably hurt a lot. I think the thing about uh, the thing about Tawei's chokeslam I think we might have covered this on episode one but like um, that, that was several years ago now um, the, uh, the it, he was the guy who really introduced it into, into wrestling it's uh, called the Nadawa Rotoshi which is a uh, legitimate sumo technique this was uh, what he used to do before uh, before wrestling he was a sumo and like try getting one of those enormous fuckers off the ground to the extent that say um the Undertaker does when like they really jump into the choke. So I was like, yeah, if you did try to choke slam someone a la Kevin Nash on his son, then like um you would uh, this is probably how it would go. Like so um I I I've grown to love Tawei's choke slams if you think of them less uh, if you're not expecting like the Kane type of choke slam and think of it more like a Von Eric Claw or uh, excuse uh, me, or, that's the like Nixon Newell choke slam. <laughs> yes, that is uh, that is true. Uh, Nixon Newell never wore a Blue Lives Matter T-shirt or um, advocated against the wearing of masks, so she is uh, 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 certainly thought of in higher esteem than the Brothers of Destruction by ourselves currently. Um, so, yeah. uh, and, and at, le- at least at least they've managed to narrow down her place of origin now during the announcement, instead of it just being Wales, the whole nation. <laughs> at least they've managed to narrow it down now to the, the Welsh Valley, so that's nice. I would I would forgive Kane if he did at least come out once to see Lavi. <laughs> that sounds like something new legacy would uh would do you know that video when they uh did vader's entrance to mbop and like it weirdly fit with the chorus i mean ne- next after the fucking choke slam on the concrete um there's some uh basically tower working him over for a bit does the uh does the snake eyes on the road which is a classic tree man move um if i if i if i may say so uh yes. and just vintage tree offense <laughs> just pummeling him with the uh, slaps in the corner but then he misses the clothesline and Nagata hits this kind of desperation backdrop and like he, he just sort so of so good it's so, so does good. not go up for that like it's almost like a Saito suplex really he does not go up for that very high but it looks like he just dumps him like a sack of shit it looks like a real 
desperation move. It's really good. You, do, do, do you reckon Tawei's got like a mad thirty three hundred thousand point like uh, like Wood Elves army in Warhammer? <laughs> <laughs> you, if you tap them for ten mana, you can make eighteen elf creatures with two two toughness, and if you, you can sacrifice yeah, yeah. them for one mana each, yeah, yeah, he's he, yeah, he's got the like uh, he's got the ability to like he's got like, loads of like mad abilities, like he can just like uh, camouflage himself in moss and bracken. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't wasn't Bracken that German guy in the uh, New Generation era? So um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's, he's like tagging with David Bellamy and shit. <laughs> no, that that would actually be good. Uh, there's um, a man I'd like to see in uh, a tree man. I like to see in old Japan. Brackus, get Brackus in Japan. I thought you were going to say David Bellamy. <laughs> and David I was Bellamy's like, well, the other kind of tree man. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, this is how sophisticated my jokes are, George. <laughs> layers within layers. Um, the uh, Nagata works up, works over the arm very, very well in this match, and like it makes uh, a special sense because it's Tawei and he just chokes on and shit. And Great Carly brain chops and other other moves of that ilk. So and not only also, are you setting up your finisher, you're also preventing your opponent from uh, enacting their their stuff. And, and also, uh, he's also a big tree man, so it probably hurts because he's probably got, got gigantism. So his arms are probably <laughs> quite sore all the time. <laughs> yes, in in indeed. Um, so uh, also like uh, massive, massive heat from the crowd when uh, he he puts in what is uh, I think it's the Nagata Lock Four that he does. Well, Becky Lynch does. Tawei gets the ropes and then Nagata transitions into an armbar just while he's in the ropes and gets some massive, massive heat. It's so uh, panto. You should refer to it by its correct name, which is Nagata Lock Four Point Left Free or Nagata Lock. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the one where all the um, where all the photographers you get a great shot of all the photographers scrambling to get this uh oh, this shot? Yeah, that was yeah. Amazing. I love that. Like, I, I am a huge proponent of even if you have to pay like your your young trainees as like as as extras or whatever, like as plants. You know, I love the fi- the big match feel that you get from having loads of photographers around a ring. Um, you know- it's like. I- like I was saying before to you guys about how I'm rewatching like WCW 1988, 89 stuff, even if it's just like Apta and a few old buffdies just with like cameras, like trying to get a shot, it just really makes it, you know? Do you know the weirdly, the one place that I always think of when, when people mention that? See when Takamichi Noku was in the light heavyweight title, won the light heavyweight title and was in the light heavyweight scene. Every match he had, they had people from like Weekly Gong come out and take photos. If you watch Canadian Stampede against Sasuke, there's a ton of them, but there's other matches where they like, legitimate like Japanese um like photographers, they'd always turn up just to take photos of the light heavyweight match involving Takamichi Noku and then fuck off for like Austin versus Bret Hart or whatever. Like they, they don't care. But like it, it's it's just it's just a great little thing. And when I was like twelve, that was like the coolest gimmick for me that going, fuck, Takamichi is like the Roberto Carlos of Japanese wrestling, like you know, all the press from, from his homeland are coming over because you just need to know what Takamichi Noku is doing. Like, he's won this title. This light heavyweight title must be, like, fucking mythical in Japan. Like, um, oh, like... yeah. I mean, I, I was I, I used to love it when I was a kid. I was, I was mildly conflicted because, obviously, as an arch-royalist, I was upset that the paparazzi had murdered Diana, rest in peace. Uh, but, like, you know, like, <laughs> overall, it was a good look. Like, you know. Roberto Carlos, the Takamichi Noku of football... Having to uh, having to uh, work without pay for one year for Angie Makachkala because he cheated on his wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I mean, I, I love this side of Nagata. Like one of my favourite um, Nagata matches of the last few years, in which he uh, wrestled in Rev Pro 
uh, against uh, Trent Seven, I think it was. He did that spot he always did where he tries, tries to do a chop and then he twats the ring post instead. And the guards are played like full butlin teal and just loudly and obviously pointed and laughed at him. I fucking love Panto and the gas out, right? And like the crowd is sort of just bite on it every, every time. Oh, it's, it's, like... it's brilliant. It's it's like when uh, when Kagetsu came over and because I like, like Oedo Tai aren't really heels in stardom. They're kind of like lovable rogues, really. But I think she enjoyed being in the environment where people would actually boo you if you're doing heel stuff because not a bunch of like hopeless simps. And uh, and so she just like fully played up to it and was just being an absolute rotter and it was so fucking good. Uh, Nagata gets like loads more heat for uh, w- working over Tai's arm and like whacking it into the ring post, doing the arm bar on the apron. That's really, really fucking good. And then like, Tawai just fires up. He no-sells two Enzigiris into a row. And then uh, he does a DDT to counter his backdrop and he's just like booting the fuck out of him in the corner. And then he does this choke slam off the top rope, like Kane's super finisher. That choke slam was amazing. And like, oh, the, crowd, so good. the crowd in this, like, I mean, we've had six months of no crowds in wrestling and wrestling and football and stuff like that. And like, this was honestly the most engaged I've been. This is easily better than anything in 2020, like by a mile, and just because of the crowd. And I'm including like the dome, uh, like like in in terms of when there was crowd and stuff. Like, this was just in, like so so good. And like I mean, the example I give, I had it today, right? When I'm at work, I'm not allowed to watch the TV, right? Because you know, obviously I need to speak to people, and um, the I need to have the TV on mute. Basically, I'm not meant to, but I have it on mute. And the only thing I can watch on mute is football, right? So I just watch whatever weird football from around the world. It's free on YouTube or iPlayer or whatever, and I've been doing it for months and months and months. And today, um, as I was finished, um, I'm still watching the Belarusian Premier League from time to time, and it's turned into a proper like title race. And that Batty Borisov aren't just going to win their 18,000th title in a row, and they were actually losing uh, today. And then um, they they still have crowds. You know, we can discuss the the practicalities and sort of moralities of having crowds in football, but. It was the most engaged I've been with a football match in at least six months because the crowd were just willing on to Piero Giudino not to lose to Batty because they were free to up. And the crowd were just um, going mental and just willing them on. And I got really sucked into it. And I was like, you know, I really, really wanted them to win. I got really, really invested. And I was like, that was great. It's the best football I've seen in months just because it has an actual atmosphere. And then I watched this and the crowd are even more molten and the crowd are just going insane for Towie. And I was, I, like, I loved it. I thought it was just so good. It just shows you how much you can be cute in the lockdown. And, and I know that, like, we have to have this, right? And I don't, I don't dispute that. But it's nothing. You can, you can put them all in wee fucking, you know, poly wallets in the NXT arena and have them sitting banging their wee plastic cages. And, you know, and it just doesn't work, right? And, there's nothing like a crowd and a crowd that actually gives a fuck and wants a guy to win. And that sort of adrenaline rush of seeing a crowd just absolutely universally focused on we want Akira Taui to win, we're going to will him on to win, yeah. was incredible. Wrestling it, without crowds is shit. It is it's shit. Garbage. It's absolutely it's, shit. I, I'm watching some of it because I just, I mean, I'll be honest, because of everything that's happened with speaking out and a lot of other things, I'm, I'm limiting a lot of the modern wrestling that I'm watching anyway, um, because um, it's it's just difficult to watch after sort of like you know 
uh, to, to put things on and be unexpectedly reminded that, you know, someone's just done terrible, awful things to people. So I am I am limiting a lot of the stuff that I watch anyway. But, um, you know, the stuff that I have seen from NXT and, and AEW and stuff is just like, uh, you know, it is, it is a cliche, but it is shit. Without fans, I've actually I've actually found it easier to watch football without fans than I have wrestling, and it's still shit. I don't like watching football without fans yeah. at all. But I, I, um, I there's, there's, I actually find it because re- because wrestling is is so about that. You know, when you're watching a football a football match without fans, you can uh, you can still the, the basic bit, uh, sort of blocks are there in terms of like watching two teams that are relying on each other as individuals within a team unit and on their coach and things like that, and, and you know, the, the ref plays a part, there's still elements there of um, of interactions that, um, you know, you can for a moment kind of forget the fans aren't there, especially if they pipe in the noise. After a while, it gets annoying, but for a bit, you can forget it. I can't really do that with wrestling because there isn't that organic relationship there between the crowd because the crowds that are on AEW or NXT are literally, you know, it's like, it is, you may as well just have canned crowds because they're being it's completely inorganic do you know what i mean and it just I, it doesn't really do it for me i i don't want to tip my own horn when i say this i genuinely think that my dubbed version of drew mcintyre winning the title at wrestlemania is more realistic than watching like nxt and stuff now in terms of like a crowd and i literally just took like tartan army chants and stuff off of youtube and put them over and i still think it sounds more natural and I agree, like, in terms of, I think the issue as well with, like, wrestling at the time now is if you watch a football match, if you watch a City match, you're supporting City. City is your team. It doesn't matter if it's an entity or whatever. Yeah. You're there yeah. because you have a vested interest in that team. Yeah. You don't have a vested interest in fucking Cesar Bononi and, like, you know, on NXT and, like, uh, like yeah. all these I people mean- and, like, in SmackDown, like, you mm. know, we all love Daniel Bryan and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, you know, fair enough. Yeah, but. I'm not living or dying by what Daniel Bryan does. He'll have good matches, he'll have bad matches. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if he wins or not. Whereas if you watch football, it does matter if they win or not a lot of the time. And it's just it's just that disconnect that these people I- are universally in support of Towie. They are living or dying on Towie winning this match in the same way that you do when you're watching City in a big game or I'm watching Thistle get beat 4-0 in a game that we definitely have to win to not get relegated. You you are invested in that, and that crowd are invested in this, and it, you you feel it, and you get sucked into it because you're like, yeah, I under like you 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 end up being part of that. It's such a natural atmosphere that you just get sucked up in it, and you yeah. can't at the moment because there's no atmosphere to get sucked up in. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like I'm I'm up. The yesterday was the first um, FA Cup final that I that I've not watched live. I think for as long as more or less, I'm, 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 I'm following, I'm following um, Marcelo Bielsa's mighty leads uh, nowadays. So have at it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but I, I just you know, and it's usually you know Arsenal Chelsea. That, 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 that's a big, that's a big match. So, you know, it's a, it's a, 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 a two, two London teams. You know, like the biggest still to me, the biggest domestic trophy. Uh, you know, there is outside the league. Um, and I just I had no interest because I, I genuinely think for something like that for a final day, yeah, that's nothing without without fans. You know, and like you know. I did. I watched um a uh, just to go back to wrestling. I watched Eddie Kingston's AEW debut uh, just because I was really pleased for Eddie Kingston getting that shot. I think he's a great worker. I think he deserves it just more than just about anyone else who could possibly imagine. I think he's the best promo in wrestling. Um, has been for a few years. Um, and that was great. But you know, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, God, you know, there's a part of me that it's it's, it's ridiculous almost. But I'm feeling sorry for him a little bit because I'm saying he's really put in the effort here and he's made a great promo he's, he's really done himself proud he's brought his character across brilliantly and there's no one there to see it 
Yeah, you know, that's that's and, and the... that, that, that's really sad because if anyone should be feeding off the crowd in a promo, it's Eddie fucking Kingston. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, I know we've gone on a bit of a, a detour here to talking about crowds, but it's important because, like you said, this crowd is molten hot, and this is something which I'm not going to go into here because I think it's probably a separate discussion. I, have. I might write an article about this one day or something, but um, I actually think there's a, a discussion to be had about whether or not wrestling is at a point in its history and its evolution in terms of the span spectacle and it's at a point post kayfabe now where i'm not actually sure that it is possible to regularly get the kind of reactions that you see in this kind of match um uh, that often anymore it does happen now and again but it's it's harder and harder i think to generate the kind of heat that you get organically in in this match these uh, days but that's yeah, maybe another I, w- I would say it's i would say it's probably two things it's um the fact that there are people who will just cheer their favorite wrestler regardless of their face a heel or even worse just cheer the heels because they're a heel fan which like fuck off like and secondly i mean this might say seem drastic but i would say you know how um you had when you had your exams at school you had to put your mobile phone in a big uh, in a big box Yes. You I'll take it in. Yeah, Just yeah. Do that at wrestling shows. I'm not. When a fucking, I did the exams, not, no one had phones. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Down I'm to mines. I'm not a fucking luddite who, uh, you know, they all. Oh, everyone's on the smartphones nowadays. It's ruining society because, like, you know, you know, smartphones are great, and a lot of people do their communication via smartphones. But like, when when you're at a show, just get off your phone and just fucking watch it. You know. Like, um, you know, pe- people were people were not on their phones during uh, Akira Taui versus Yuji Nagata on the 6th of June 2003 in uh, in pro wrestling. No, that's all I'm saying. So uh, yeah. get, getting back to the getting back to the match after this fucking top rope choke slam, uh, Nagata manages to escape one choke slam and then just gets another. And then Taui uh, does the dynamic bomb. Now, you might be thinking, oh, gee, this looks an awful lot like a Liger bomb. No, it's a dynamic bomb and it is legally a completely different move. It's, yeah, it's, it's two teams in Apprentice, isn't it? It's Dynamic and Liger. Dynamic um, <laughs> have failed to grab all the cheese in Winchester that they had to get, you know, get the 10 traffic cones sold and all that. As we said, I watched this four weeks ago. I forgot the result and I watched this and I was like, oh, so Terry wins, that's it, it's done. And then he kicked it. I was like, fucking hell, right? I, I honestly bit in it so much and I'd already seen this and like, yeah, I, I totally bit on it and I was, because I was, well, I was like, I was in with the Norkard, I was like, yeah, fuck Nagata, Towie the lads, I want, I, I like this, Howie Towie, I, I'm, I'm here for this, and um, like, and then when he kicked out, I was actually quite sad, because I was like, fuck, he's, he's not one, like, oh. and I've not felt that in God knows how long from wrestling. Howie Towie is just making me imagine like a, uh, a, a, a Geordie pro wrestling Noah fan, who is so, so annoyed by the result of this match, that he just go, goes out and punches a p- police horse outside the Brudican. <laughs> Daniel, before we go on, I need you to do one thing for me. Can you say Akira Taui in a Geordie accent for me? Because I can't let this oh. podcast go on without it. <clears throat> Akira Taui? <laughs> I sound more brummy than anything. No, that that, that would be Akira Taui. Oh, yeah, man, it's Akira Taui! has guested on the podcast. Akira Taui! Are you telling me? Akira Taui's granddad worked out in the fucking shipyards with my granddad, and I'll tell you one thing, the Catholics weren't loaded on a Thursday. It's right, you know, it's not right. (laughs) Akira Taui versus using the guard at the Sports Direct Budokan. Well, that's right. I, Akira, I I used to know Akira. I used to wash his mum's jammies after when she used to shit herself at the mum's house. That's right, I. Akira Tawi, they call him. 
Big lad, Rudy Cheeks, used to run about Jarrah. I know him well. Your younger Kevin drinks with him in Jarrah Bubs. Just have the rest of the podcast be this. <laughs> Akira Taro presents the time that we're Metro the musical. <laughs> so, um, actually, what I, what I really like is that um, Taro tries the Oigatari again, but this time Nagata flips out of it and then uh, ducks the lariat and hits this big fuck off exploder. He, he's basically just kept countering and ducking all the lariats that Taro is like. What just an exploder! Oh my god, it's incredible! It's not even like the the biggest big boy exploder in this uh, in this match because um, like we get a few submission attempts uh, first. Nagata locks two, three, four, really um, moving through the gears, and then the full box set of Nagata locks on display here. <laughs> so um, the and then we we kind of come full circle with the with the match in that um, we get some more training of the big boots, and uh, Tawi sends Nikir into the corner, but he springs out with an enziguri and then. Hits the uh, the high knee in the corner, um, and uh, then we get the big boy exploder. Um, woo boy, the uh, the exploder off the top rope for a two yes. count. Fucking hell! Like uh, fair play to Tower for taking that bump. Even in two thousand and three, I think he was uh, creaking a little bit physically. Absolutely, and it, it's around about this time that you get my favourite part of this match. Nagata puts him in tons of holes, and every single time it brings up a great point about. Akira Taui, really a, a great weapon in his arsenal. He's a big tree man who is the who is the width of the ring. So even if you put him in a submission in the middle of the ring, he can still reach the ropes of his legs. And there's a real sense of Nagata's like, after the first one or two times, he's like, right, I need to work this in such a way where he is just tippy toes away from the ropes. Because if I move him too far to either side... He's going to hit the ropes, and you can yes. see him clearly nego- uh, negotiating Towie to make <laughs> sure that he can't reach the ropes. And it's so wonderful, and it's such a logical piece. Again, it's harkening back to my wife's years in wrestling. If Akira, if wrestling was real, Akira Towie would just sit in the gata, and as well as that, you can never submit him because he would just put his foot onto the ropes every single time oh, because he's too big. It's like the recent uh, any time Chris Brooks wrestles for Gato Move. Uh, on that tiny little mat in the in the in the old <laughs> pharmacy, like a- any time Mesa tries to put him in a submission hold, he will just very easily escape by just extending one of his limbs and touching the side of the mat. He's <laughs> he's literally impossible to submit. I, I mean, I mean, not since the uh, the action thriller starring Samuel L. Jackson and Kevin Spacey uh, has there been such a uh, a compelling negotiation as this. Uh, uh, I- <laughs> I, I now want to see Akira Taui and Gato move. I think that'd be great. Oh, yes. Can him against like Mesa Ruga and Gato move. That'd be like, the greatest match of all time. It'd be so good. It's like that would got, be amazing. It's got your your two favorite types of uh, of wrestling. Is that like like immobile tree man and like kawaii roll up merchant? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two. Um, the David the, Forrest Derby. And to, the other thing I like about uh, this match is the ending, where it's one, one of my favourite things where, like, the, one of the things I don't like about modern wrestling is, like, guys just exchanging big moves towards the end and then just, like, uh, getting a two-count and then springing back up, doing one of those, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, no, we get explode off the top rope, end Gary, backdrop, backdrop hold, another two-count, then Nagata lock three, and uh, Ty submits. Like, lovely, decisive win for using the guard. He, he did a load of moves, one after the other, and then he won. Great. We didn't get any hope spots from Tawe in the end, which seemed like uh, didn't seem like a prospect after Tawe had so comprehensively fucked over Nagata in the opening uh, with the Origa Tawe. 
and like you really got the sense of uh, Nagata getting his way more and more back into the match as it went on to the point where Taui is the guy who looks as though he was defeated comprehensively and he really wasn't actually Taui controlled the match for large portions but because Nagata got more and more powerful it made him look really strong because he had overcome all of that and he had seemed like a, a very powerful antagonist coming over from New Japan and defeating one of the one of the four pillars like I, I really love that about this match it's just it's, it's just so good guys it's so good there's a great there's a great disconnect in the sense that if you took five seconds still on the gas selling five ten seconds in the gas selling for a couple of minutes into the match and then showed them the end where he wins everyone would be like how the fuck did that happen I really <laughs> need to see how this happened because it's really right he's dead he's not winning this and then he wins and you're like it's very much, this is going to sound like an amazing reference, it's very much a Simpsons episode in the sense that the start of a Simpsons episode is completely different from the the end of a Simpsons episode, but it flows so naturally that you don't notice that it's like completely different from the start and it just all makes sense. And this really did that in the sense that if you look at the start and the finish of this, there's two completely disparate matches, but the middle bit joins it and puts all the stuff in there that you can believe that this guy who got utterly murdered three minutes in has won, and it doesn't seem unbelievable, if you know what I mean. And it doesn't seem overly dramatic and, you know, hammy. And it's just it's done in such a good manner. And, yeah, I, I have I have some thoughts about Akira Taui. The first time we did this, I went on a 10-minute rant about how much I love Akira Taui in this match and why. And I'm ready to do that again, but I'll let you go on first, and then I'll cut, you can come back to me with that because I've got I've got emotions. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have too much to say about it, uh, to be honest with you, other than like I would really encourage you to go out of your way and watch this match because it's it's only like a quarter of an hour long. Uh, it's it's a really it's a really great sprint if you if you really want to if you've watched loads of Tawei stuff and you don't really get him yet, I would say watch this match because it's a really great distillation of what makes Tawei good. Uh, and like, like you, you, like yeah. you, you. Oh no, not usually Garth is great. That's not in question. But when I saw this match, I wasn't especially sold on Taue, um, uh even at all. Not even in uh, comparison with the rest of the uh, rest of the four pillars, and uh, certainly not in singles competition. And this was what really made me turn around on him and say, you know what, Akira Taue was not only a great tag worker but a great singles worker as well. So if you're on the fence about Taue, like watch this match because I think he might surprise you. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I, 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 I would say that. Um. In, in, in terms of this match, um, in particular, I would pair this. If you're not sure about sort of ta- um, uh, Taue, you might have seen some of the 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 famous tags uh, with the rest of the four pillars. And you might have thought it was it was all right, or and you might think right, I want to watch some of his single stuff. I think this is a great place to start for this point in his career, a bit later on. And then I think if you're going to couple it with some, another match to watch, I would recommend watching. Um, I think it took place around '89. Uh, no, not '89. Maybe that's a bit early. Uh, maybe early '90s, 1991, something like that. Um, the feud that he has with um, Kawada, um, who obviously he would go on to uh, to team with later on. But there's a feud that he has in all Japan when they're both young, uh, young guys. Um, and there's some incredible scraps there as well. Um, and they also really show a side of uh, of Tawai as a great singles worker. Even that early on, it's it's evident. 
Um, so, you know, maybe watch one of bookend it, you know, you can bookend his career by watching one of those and then watching, um, you know, this is something that he does later and then seek out things in, in the middle, which is kind of what I did when I, when I got into, uh, to Tawe. And yeah, like I'm sure David's going to go on at length, but I'll just concur with everyone else. Akira Tawe is one of the greatest wrestlers ever, that ever lived. It's as simple as that. He's incredible. And this match shows us why. And while I wouldn't put Nagata in that, that elite level, um, that 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 you have guys like Tawei and and his and his contemporaries in the four pillars that you have guys like uh, Fujinami um, or or, or Saruta in uh, in terms of uh, of of Japan. Um, uh, you know, um, I, I I do think that Nagata, in terms of consistency, in terms of like an emotional connection with the crowd, um, and and just like longevity, um, is is probably in that you know um, uh, um, that, that 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 level just just underneath. You know, he's he's not an all time great in my opinion, but he is in that level of incredibly consistent, very good performers um, that that are better than most. Uh, to be honest. Um, and, you know, he's still having great matches at the moment. He had a great match um, in the New, J- New Japan Cup recently against uh, Suzuki, a great old man scrap. Um, and um, he's still great in the six bands that he's in all the time, you know, um, popping up there, doing a little bit of uh, a little bit of work, lovely little jobs and things. He's just uh, a joy to watch and he's got bags of charisma. And this is one of the very best matches that took place during the 2000s, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't remember the last bad Yuji Nagata match I watched, like a singles match. Like genuinely, every time, because he doesn't get them that much and it's always kind of the case of you think this could be the last one, I'm genuinely racking my brain for years as to the last time I saw a bad Nagata match. It might be maybe if he Yoshihashi in the G1 or something, but even then, he is a very compelling wrestler and that he is not the greatest wrestler of all time. He is not pulling out five stars in the G1 or anything like that. But he's so consistently good. He never has a bad match. And it's so... It's it's really, really good. But um, Akira Taui in this... The thing that that really got me on this, right, is that it showed pace does not equal speed. Yes. In the sense that this is a remarkably... As you said, it's a sprint. It's a remarkably fast-paced match. It's not a fast match. They're quite slow in terms of the stuff they do. But Taui is so incredible. I don't think I've ever seen a wrestler in a match do it as well as him in this. And he does this quite a lot. Taui knows where he has to be for every spot, at every moment, and he is there before the other guy knows it. So in the sense that you watch matches now and... It's not choreographed like when you watch us at a Ricochet Will Osprey match, or a lot of people are saying, "Oh, they had a move and then they sell it and then they just get up and it's like you know, it's like you know all those mad X division scraps where they just, you know, they they don't sell moves. He just immediately bounce up to go to the next spot. It's not even that. Tawi seems to have this incredible sense for knowing exactly how long to sell something, exactly how fast he needs to get up and being there. So the example is on the floor. There's a couple of moments there where. Nagata does stuff to him and as he's rolling over like to sell and stuff like that, he's rolling into place so that when Nagata turns around, Taui's already there for the spot that he needs to do. And if you watch this entire match, every move he does, he's already at the next move. It is it's the old joke of 4D chess of he's always two moves ahead because literally Nagata does a move and Taui is already putting himself into the next move ready for uh, Nagata. And in a sense like I would argue that Taui 
a lot of people would maybe think watching this match or like you know um, listening to this match or whatever or a review of it or reading a review of it they would think Nagata carried Taui I think it's the complete opposite Taui was always in the spot for Nagata for the next bit but it didn't come off as overly hokey or choreographed and honestly it was incredible the timing that he had he just he was just always there and every time I watched it I was just like fucking hell he, he's, he's just oh, like to the to the pike seconds he is there at the exact time he needs to be there, ready for the next move. And he sells it enough to get it over. He's not selling it enough to make it slow. He's not. It's not hammy. It, it's unbelievable just the sheer granular fucking exactness that he gets in terms of his ability to sell and get up and be at the next place in this match. And he just really floored me. And this is what I mean. Like If you watch the All Japan Tag Matches after watching this and you notice just how well prepared he is for the spots, and you watch those old Japan tag matches afterwards, you see in the Holy Demon Army matches when he's facing people, Tommy's there at the time he needs to be, not a second later, not a second earlier, and it clicks so well, and the pace is done so well because of Tommy, in spite of the fact that he is by no means the fastest person. And it honestly just befuddles me as to how he's so good at it. And like, I, I, just, I just don't get it, but honestly, that, that was the thing that struck me about this, about how fast without being fast he was unbelievable one of the best performances i've seen of an individual wrestler in terms of making sure he was in a place at a right time for the entire match and it's just stuff like this where if you watch this you really see why he was one of the four pillars and why he was so good and he really does deserve to be up with the other three i don't like he he is on a par and it's just that he's different but that difference is what makes him and honestly you just really notice the sort of um the the, the mind the forensic mind the Keir Starmer like forensic mind that Kiritari <laughs> has for match match building I, I love him I fucking love him and he's incredible yeah okay well um that was the uh, that was the uh, the match like honestly guys like do do check it out um it, it's if you if you just type the uh, the wrestlers names into YouTube you will find it. So uh, that was the match. Uh, before we go, I've got a little bit of a little bit of a uh, quiz I've prepared for the guys. Uh, I've been wanting to uh, wanting to do this for a uh, while. We um, we did do the quiz uh, before when we tried to record it the first time. Uh, I can't remember who won, and I think the guys maybe can't remember the answers uh, either. So uh, we'll nope. <laughs> give, give it another go, and we'll see what happens. So uh, this is uh, very much uh, not a direct ripoff of. Uh, starting 11 from uh, Kevin. So um, essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, give you the name of a uh, well-known Noah show and then you just take it in terms of the name wrestlers who were on that show and I'll, I'll let you have two wrong ones. Um, it's probably probably more than two wrong ones on the card, but uh, never mind. And uh, so you get two <laughs> lives each. If you get a third wrong, then you lose and we'll just go over it in turn and we'll uh, see what you guys come up with. So the show in question is uh, Noah's first ever show. Uh, Noah Departure, which took place on the 5th of August 2000 at Differariake. And so, we there are 22 wrestlers who appear on this card. 22, Oman, Goldberg, why me? So, um, if, uh, let's do it in, uh, let's do alphabetical order. So, Dan- Daniel, if you, uh, if you want to go first. So, just give me the name of a wrestler you think would have appeared on Noah's first show in August 2000. Uh, okay, so, uh, uh, I mean, Scott Steiner yeah. was doing a lot of dates in Japan at that time, okay. so, you know. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with, uh, Kabashi. 
Kent Kabashi, was he on Noah's first show? Um, yes, yes, he was. He was uh, in the in the main event, as a matter of uh, as a matter of fact. So very well done. Okay, David, over to you. So I mean, I, I distinctly remember Misawa being in a body cast for the first four years of uh, pro wrestling. <laughs> Noah, I think he maybe snuck in in time uh, to be on the first show. Um, he could have fucking the flu or something, isn't he? <laughs> and he missed the first show. That would have been exceptionally funny um, if there's like. Oh yeah, so we we made the ring green because it's your colour, and then you're injured for the first show. He wasn't injured for the first show, but also in the main event. So uh, very well done, David. Uh, as strange as it may seem, both Mitsuharu Misawa and Kenta Kabashi were on Pro Wrestling Noah's first show. I mean, we Shot should probably see Misawa probably was injured, but he was still on this show. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, <laughs> and Kabashi as well, seeing as I believe he had to take a significant leave of absence, like not long after uh, after Noah's first run of shows. Yeah, Daniel, back to you. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, you, you just said Masawa, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the main event is. <laughs> that's what I was out. A pure uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I've done. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Are there any more Japanese wrestling? Welcome to the no, Wrestling uh, Forum 1694 tribute podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, the main event's Kabashi versus Akiyama, isn't it? So Akiyama. Uh, that isn't what the main event is, but is uh, no? Akiyama, was, Akiyama was on the show. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, I'm thinking no, of a completely different show. This is going to be fun. You're thinking of the <laughs> Noah did a show in December in which Kabashi versus Akiyama was the main event, and they started building to that match on this show. Was it not? Oh, so is there? Right. Okay. So, yeah. So Akiyama oh, right. was there. So uh, you, you survived. In, in that case, a lot of the other answers I, I, I'm thinking of is probably wrong. So you were right <laughs> for the wrong like reason. All right. Okay. Um. I mean, do you know that way where you're like doubting yourself and you're going, "Was Misawa on Noah's first show?" And you're like sitting there and you're like really obvious people that are like <laughs> fucking pillars of Noah at the time. And you're like, ah, oh, but he, he might have torn his ACL or something like that. Or he's, um, I mean, I've, I've ranted about him for about 10 minutes, so I feel remiss not to. I'll go for Akira Taui and I bet you any money he was fucking on holiday in fucking Colombia or something last time. <laughs> I, think the first time <laughs> I think the first time we recorded this, it took like both of you ages to say Akira Taui. <laughs> so I'm quite glad that... Uh, the guy we just did an episode about uh, was uh, one of your first um, answers. Akira Tari was on the show, correct? Uh, so I can, tell you, I can tell you what the main event was now. It was Kabashi and uh, Akiyama versus Misawa and Tawe in a oh, right. two okay. out of three falls tag match in which um, Akiyama and Kabashi won by two falls to zero. Um, and uh, Akiyama... Was this the one where Akiyama beat Misawa and he, Kabashi? He choked out Misawa in the first two minutes. And then he pins Tawe, so he got both falls for his team. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, okay. actually, I was wrong. So Akiyama vs. Kabashi was on the show, uh, the second show no ever did, but um, this was the day after. And All then right. they did a rematch in December. So, yeah, you were you were almost right with that. So yes. We are in choppy waters now. We, we are in choppy waters. We've got like yeah. no four guys. <laughs> we have said them all. So we are here be dragons. Or, or Toriumon, as it was, uh, was it used to be called. Uh, it's me now, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. Sadly for you. Uh, right. Here be dragons or here be the vermin, the most verminous oh, of the animals off. in the animal world. The rats. <laughs> I'm going with the rat boy himself. Because I guess he, he, he is on pretty much all the shows at this point. Fucking he must have been like, only answer. Oh, <laughs> Ogawa must have been on this. 
Uh, Yoshinari Gawa was on the show, yes. He, um... <laughs> okay. Yoshinari Gawa. There's got to be someone above him on the ladder that Daniel will say. He'll say some, like, old Japan trainee or something. Like, he'll pull something out of the bag and totally forget Yoshinari Gawa. Nope. No, no, right. st- straight in with Yoshinari Gawa, um, uh, not too far removed from his uh, uh, run with the GHC title where he beat uh, Akiyama in uh, in uh, four minutes. I'm, I'm I'm still bitter after I wasn't even fucking watching Noah in 2002. <laughs> um, David, over to you. I mean, I'm breaking the emergency glass here. I'm not gonna lie. We, are, I mean, the, the fucking the fa- the flames are billowing up in the apartment underneath. I can Uh-oh. feel the heat in the floor. Um, I mean, this is a panic. I'm not gonna lie. Russia Kimura is literally the sixth name I can think of. <laughs> Russia Kimura, straight from the Saint Petersburg Troll Factory. Under the guidance of Mr. Seamus Milne. Uh, Russia Kimura, he was on the show very, very well. Oh, my God! <laughs> that, that was a fucking Hail Mary. Your 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 lives Jesus. are intact and not forfeit. Fucking hell. Daniel, back to you. Uh, fuck. <laughs> da- Daniel now thinking, well, those other old cunts who used to be on all the yeah. other shows in the undercut. Um, w- was... Ah, okay. Right. Uh, oh, okay. This is right. I'm not sure of. I think this was. Um, I forgot the uh, fuck his name. Um, That's not going to help. No. Uh, Takiyama. Yoshiro Takiyama. Yeah. Yeah, he was on the show very well. He was. He was also in this match we reviewed because I thought it was quite good that. That uh, his face had been reconstructed by the air crash investigators after the Don Fry fight. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, Takiyama actually would get to the final of the um, tournament for the inaugural GHC Heavyweight Champion. Lost in the sour, inevitably. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, Takiyama was there. He was one of the guys who'd come over from. Right. Uh, now I've just got to try and figure out who who ta- who Takiyama was been against in this match. Ma- you get you literally, it, literally, any time we do this quiz format, you always say Takiyama without fail. It doesn't matter when New Japan Ramble. It's yeah. the fucking uh, world, the World League from 1979 <laughs> after Anoki and Hogan. Uh, Takiyama was was here. <laughs> right. Well, to be fair, it, it fucking it worked it everywhere. Works. It always works. Yeah, he got around. He got around quite a bit in the early two thousands, specifically. So yeah, not a bad shout. Well, well, well so did I. I'm a work Hawaii so. with odd job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David, back to you. Oh god, right. I need to remember this because there's a whole ton of them, and I can't remember which one is which. I'm trying to think of his fucking you know, the other guy's fucking name as well. Oh, with, oh. Mitsuo Mamota. Mitsuo Momota, um, one of uh, the 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 son of Ricky Dozan, it feels very unchargeable to call him a fail son because I think anyone would have been a fail son uh, when compared with yeah. uh, Ricky Dozan. Mitsuo Momota, a uh, standout of Noah's old cunts division, and also in the opener, um, like like getting the crowd going of their uh, first ever Tokyo Dome show in two thousand and four. Mitsuo Momota was on this show. Very well done. I was honestly yeah. sitting there for ten minutes going, "What was the name of Ricky Dozan's win?" Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Uh, D- Daniel, back to you. Uh, <laughs> We've now identified between us eight of the twenty-two wrestlers who are on this show. So, uh, <laughs> without losing any lives, I'm impressed. I'm expecting expecting some uh, some critical fails uh, quite soon. Uh, 
okay. Is I'm gonna th- I'm trying I'm gonna go with some like juniors because um, I'm, I'm I can actually remember some. Is Marafuji on this? A very young Marafuji. A very very young Marafuji. Yeah yeah yeah. Mar- Marafuji I, is on the show. He must be young then. I yeah. debuted in '97. So like yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah yeah. Because I I remember and um, this is incredibly nerdy. I remember in my uh, eFed they do a thing where every year whoever debuts that year you can basically get them in January. And I remember in '97, like Marafuji was on there, and I was like, "What? Like, surely not? Like, what the fuck?" And I looked up, and sure enough, yeah, he was trained in all Japan. Yeah, yeah. If you look at like all Japan cards of like 1998, 1999, 2000, there's like just as opening match, young boys like loads of people who would become like really big stars in Noah in like the uh, in the the mid 2000s. Mm. And I like, think you wrestled in all Japan. What the fuck? Yeah, Marafuji was one of those people. Very, very yeah. well done, David. Taking a pun, I know that he was um, in all Japan. So I'm going to say my boy, Tamon Honda. Tamon oh, Honda, yes. Well, Tamon. You mentioned him already on the episode for his uh, incredibly good uh, GHG title match with uh, Kenta Kabashi. Um, Tamon Honda, I'm afraid, is not on this show. Fuck off. He was in old Japan. What the- I know. I just... don't know what he was doing. but he Was, was he, he in a gap this? here or something? Was he like backpacking around Eastern Europe? I, 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 I was going to say Honda as well. I thought he would have been on it. Well, very good job you didn't. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened to him, but he, he wasn't on this show. Fair right. enough. Okay. That, okay, so that, that gives me the fear. Yeah, uh, yeah, Honda's in all Japan as like, early as like 1996 because there's this yeah. amazing match where it's like Misawa, Barber and Jumbo, so the aces of like the 70s, 80s and 90s versus I think Akiyama and um, uh, Akiyama and someone who I <laughs> almost said his name and he was on this show and uh, Honda's there as well and it's like okay you, you're already up against it in this match and then fucking Honda gets legit knocked out by Miss Hour uh, <laughs> so now, now I've got to try and think and see if I can figure out who that is it's, uh, like, it's, like, in a, it's like in a cup game in the non-league team where the star striker pulls up after 20 minutes and they're like, yeah DJ Campbell is injured you hate to see it <laughs> so yeah good old Ten zero zero formation. <laughs> <laughs> you on the ball. Oh, yes. Um. Mm, um. Okay. Um. Well, only literally because I was reminded of his existence about fifteen minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> Rikio. Takeshi Rikio, the uh, one of the most oh, disappointing. The, the greatest yeah. oh. champion of all time. Did- he debuted in 2000. And you, and you know who dropped the title to, uh, don't you? Akira Tawe, because they pressed the fucking panic button on him when uh, <laughs> they gave Rikio the ending Kenta Kabashi's two-year title reign run. He still didn't get over. Takeshi Rikio uh, was on this show, so very well done. Right. So, D- David, you, uh, you, uh, you, you're up against it now. Right. I'm going back to the old staple, literally. Masawinui? You know what I'm talking about? That is a. Uh, that is a. Uh... He, he tagged. He tagged away Baba and Russia Kamura on that. In, 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 in six three ninety four, the greatest match of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As we yeah, covered right. on the other podcast, uh, Masao in a way, uh, he was on this show. Now, actually, okay. I seem to remember that. I do remember who won last time. Now, and it was uh, David won when we first recorded this, and it was because Daniel accidentally said Mighty in a way rather than Masao in a way. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, That's why I was equivalent there, of I was like. Yeah. And and he always said Ensign anyway, and he's like, No, he's a Yakuza Pride fighter. 
Like he was definitely. I mean, he probably was to be fair because if he's in the Yakuza. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that's the the, the same mighty anyway, rather than Masao anyway. The the equivalent of hitting the crossbar with your penalty, and it bounces just the wrong side of the line. I will say, just for the avoidance of that, I'm out of all guys now. <laughs> oh well, you, you're you're double fucked, aren't you? Uh, so Daniel, back to you. Uh, okay. Um. Uh, well, I'm out of all guys as well. However, I do do a roaring trade in large baby men, <laughs> large terrifying baby men, by the ne- by the with names like Takeshi Morishima. Ah, the 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 tag partner of uh, Takeshi Rikio uh, in uh, Wild Two, I think the uh, the tag team was called. <laughs> I can't um, remember that at all. Well, seeing as you were literally just reminded of Takeshi Rikio's very existence by this episode, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not surprising you wouldn't remember many details of his career. Uh, Takeshi Morishima. I'm not going to lie; I've only just remembered Morishima, who's substantially better because he has the same name as as Rikio. Yeah. And uh, Morishima was on this show, and think how much of a, of a giant baby man he looked in 2000. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, I think, in the opener. Of, he was in the opener of this match. Bloody hell uh, of this show. So, uh, yeah, Takeshi Morishima, well I, done. I have to say, I've just gone for names that I obviously associate with Noah, but David's actually picked some that I actually wouldn't have like thought of. So. And look how well it's turned yeah. out from so far. David, you're well, your go. No, He's taking I, more risks, I'd say. I, I, yes, speaking of taking risks... This next one, I've wandered down a path here, and I fear it's a dangerous path. I was trying to think if there was any Gaijins in this show, and I know that that's a really dangerous territory. There's one I have in my locker, but I'm waiting for Daniel to say it, because I think it's actually wrong. And I think we're going to get to the point where he says it, so I'm banking on that. Was Vader on this? The man they call Vader... R.I.P. to a real one. Rev Pro Star Vader. Leon Bull Power White himself was unfortunately not on this show. Fuck off. I can see why you think it's like Vader did do some yeah. stuff. He was in the tournament for the yeah. GHC title. And stuff yeah, he like was. That. He had some fucking great matches with uh, Misawa and uh, I think had a run with the tag belts as well. So he had, like, he had a great one with Akiyama at the very start. Like I think when Akiyama won the title, I think it was like his first defense. Yeah, I, th- I think Vader's like real like last run of like truly great matches. Yeah, Vader, and, Vader, and, Aki- with it. Vader and Akiyama have had a couple of good matches over the years. Yeah, not, not so sadly. The one I'm thinking of is it was really bloody, and he like I nails him a chair shot and it opens him up. It's really good. Um, that's me. Th- that's me dead, doesn't it? Or have I got no, no, you've got one more life, but you right. are in the last chance saloon. Right. So, uh, Daniel, you've got a little bit of breathing space now. Who have you got? For- <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, I'm, I'm sort of down to Gaijin's as well now for this. Um, Doug Williams. Doug Williams, the ambassador. He did. He did work. Noah, this uh, not long after this. No, well, that's that's a bold fucking stratagem there. Well, Doug, Doug Williams was doing. Um, I I think he was. Doug wrestling. Williams is doing the square root of fuck all in two thousand that anybody knows about because again I used to run an efed. With oh shit! It's two thousand. It, had yeah, to look yeah. up all yeah. of you know what? what? Yeah. I've just realised because he doesn't do that Ring of Honor, that first Ring of Honor three-way title match till a couple of years later well, than this, does you he? Know, Doug, Doug Williams was 
Doug Williams as the anarchist had unfortunately been banned from Japan for going on Zengaku and marches. So uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he was not on this show. So uh, you are one life down. David, however, is uh, let's let's be fair. We're doing a we're doing a podcast about Japanese wrestling. We are all in a very real sense one life down. But um, <laughs> uh, David, back to you. You're in the last right. chance saloon now, my friend. Who have you got? Right. So I've got two names. Both are maverick picks. They are very much goalkeeper in the box for a corner in the 93rd minute. David James has come on. David James, yeah. David James (laughs) on his striker. I'm right. Right. I'm trying to think. Who the fuck did Kibashi face in his big run? Oh, it was all like fucking... It was all like daft guys, wasn't it? It was all like actual Noah people, not like chaff. Um, Oh no, or was it New Japan guys and stuff? I've got three names. It's going to be really funny when, like, the one you pick is wrong and the other two are correct. No. Right. I've, I'm going to go for this name, and if I get it wrong, I want to ask the other two to see if either of them are I think all three are wrong. Vote first... <laughs> confidence. I will go for Two Cold Scorpio. <laughs> two Cold Scorpio. Flash fun. I, I think he might ever be right, present you know. Noah. I think you he might be right because he's in loads of Noah stuff. Um, Appearing appear on this podcast, of course, uh, when we talked about um, uh, the Wrestling Channel International Showdown. Yeah, one um, of my old, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Uh, he was tag champion uh, of Noah at that time with Doug Williams. He was also, I believe, Vader's tag partner. Yes, he was. Uh, yeah. the, uh, the run with GHC um, tag belts. Uh, I think he's right. You know, I think he is on this. Well, unfortunately, Daniel, you think wrong because uh, Scott oh. was not on the show, and in fact, there were no foreign wrestlers on the show at all. Right, okay. Well, thanks th- Thanks for the tip. Uh, so, uh, Dan- <laughs> Daniel has uh, been triumphant uh, with uh, still two <laughs> I think him. that's a somewhat grandiose term for what's occurred here. victory for uh, Daniel Baker. David, who are your <laughs> other two? I'm, I really want to see if they're right. Uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, I believe. That was my next one. Yeah. Yeah. Kanemaru was on the show. <sighs> what was the other one I was going to do? And my mind has just been totally clouded by like all these wrong answers. Um uh, was no Choshu. I thought Choshu was nice, but he's not because he's in old Japan, doesn't he? Goes to old Japan and helps them. Um, Ricky Choshu. Choshu was in New Japan at the, uh, at the time of this, I think. No, wasn't it? Because Choshu wasn't it. Kawada versus Choshu was like the thing that kept them afloat early on. Alongside the sort of New Japan things, I'm sure Choshu left for Ricky Pro, and yeah. then like are they just like and they, oh yeah because New Japan didn't want oh no was it Hashimoto was in New Japan as well because he wanted to do zero one in New Japan and we're like fuck off and he's like right I'll just go to old Japan then. Um, Tem- Temryu uh, was, and versus Kawada was a thing in old Japan. I don't know about I don't know about Choshu. You might be right anyway, but uh, Choshu wasn't on this. Uh, Sure, I think he. I think every old, every old bastard rocked up in no. Please put point. me on my misery and tell me all the other names. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go through them all. So, um, the guy I, whose name I almost said, uh, tagging with Akiyama and Honda in that All Japan match was uh, uh, Takawa Mori. Oh, uh, um, yeah, that makes we sense. We also have um, a, a man who was mentioned earlier in the ep- in this episode, Kentaro Shiga. And then was, he... was Siyoshi Kikuchi on this? Siyoshi Kikuchi was on the show. Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I have absolutely no memory of Kikuchi being in there. I was like, fuck, he was still wrestling. All right. He won the GHC oh. Junior title. 
Jesus, yeah, you're right. And the yeah. other ones were Satoru Osako, who was like sort of a hot prospect for them, who I think ended up retiring. Was a sample guy? Um, I don't know, actually. He, he was, yeah, he had some sort of legit background. Um, in the old cunts division, we have Haruka Eigen. Haruka uh, Eigen, of course, because he's... Jesus, there's a lot of old guys on this show, isn't there? There really are, yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely not, also definitely not involved with legitimate businessman Haruka Eigen. Um, no. We have uh, Jun Izumida. Jun Izumida, Ju- uh, what is it, Junji.com, as he was known? That was his gimmick name for real, Junji.com. <laughs> is he the Japanese that, that, That's very... That's very Techno Team 2000. It really is. is. And, um, um, the bomb.com. <laughs> the bomb.jp, I believe it be. And uh, we have uh, Makoto Hashi. Um, and uh, finally, from uh, from the battle arts school, um, Masahito Kakahara and Daisuke Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. So uh, there you have it. So very weird fucking roster. No, <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> At the start, like you think, oh, yeah, you've got... Um, You've got uh, Misawa, Tawe, Kabashi, Akiyama, like all the greats. And like, if you just scratch below the surface, even tangentially, it's just this absolute fucking rogues gallery. Yeah, you just go, can you name seven pro wrestling Noah wrestlers from the fr- from the beginning? And you're like, no. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. not. Name six. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just so, so weird the roster they, uh, the roster they had at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the quiz. Congratulations to Daniel. You uh, will. I, I get your prize, but uh, lockdown, and I can't be asked. So um, you have the undying. I, I, I feel uh, like the sense, the sense of pride and achievement that comes from winning yeah. a quiz of this stature is prizing. Is, is exactly. exactly, and you did it all without a man coughing in the audience to uh, tell you the right answer. So you've got that going for you as well. That's just insensitive, George. I mean, yeah, that was the that was the quiz, and that was episode number twenty-two of the Puro Puro podcast. Match microscope number five. We'll be back, I think, next with uh, match microscope number six, and we'll probably release some of the shit in the meantime as well. Yeah. It's my match microscope, and it's my yeah, second it's, it's match been... of all time. Six years oh, in, 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 in the waiting, we've been... Uh, oh, just, it's the only have... reason I ever wanted to do this fucking podcast for this match, so... Uh... You'll have to wait to find out what it is for next episode. In the meantime, I've been George Thompson, and let us do some plugs. So, you can follow us at Pura Podcast on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes as the Pura Pura Podcast. You can find some of our writings and uh, general assorted musings on I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. That's I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. Um, featuring such things as uh, me making a, a, a football team out of the Gato Move roster when I realized there were exactly 11 people on it and thinking about what formation they would play and which position they would all fulfill with shit like that. Um, Pat Reed does some uh, stuff that is uh, very thoughtful and considered and certainly not like anything I would write. Uh, talking about various aspects of pro wrestling as a craft, a very good friend of the podcast, um, our uh, other, uh, well, friend of the podcast and uh, partner of one of the podcasts, Sarah Parkin, does things on women's wrestling there, especially how, how Bull Nakano should be in the Hall of Fame, which, let's be honest, she definitely should. Uh, also, I, I would like to say as well, sorry, just while you're doing your plugs, I did notice yesterday, um, w, I think WWF posted uh, a gif of Bill Nicano and like half the comments underneath on Sarah's birthday where Bill Nicano should be in the Hall of Fame and I thought there was a sort of like universal synergy in, in the air oh. at that point I was like you know that, it's a great day to do that I'll have to uh, I'll have to uh, tell her uh, have to tell her about that uh, so uh, that's uh, and yeah there's other sort of weird and wacky shit such as uh, is Antonio Inoki a Remainer and uh, which is nightmarishly one of those balanced articles that was published about Brexit in uh, in 2019, and uh, things like me and David's uh, weird robot wars reviews and stuff like that. I also have a, a novel you can buy 
um, which is called The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan. It is set in the late 50s and early 1960s uh, around the world of Japanese wrestling. Uh, it's about uh, Ricky Dozan, who was the big wrestling star of the time, and basically about his, not so much a, a, a biography of him, but really more about a, a guy who gets pulled into Ricky Dozan's world and finds that it's uh, it's not really what he imagined it would be when he was a kid and idolising all, uh, all the big wrestlers on the TV. Uh, if you don't know shit all about Ricky Dozan, I certainly fucking didn't when I started researching the novel, um, don't worry, you don't even have to know anything about wrestling at all. I've written it so that if you're a complete newcomer, to the uh, to the greatest sport in the world, then like you, you don't even need to know. It's all it's all set out for you. But if you are a long time wrestling fan, there's at least eggs uh, for you. Uh, things like that. For example, there's a scene where the main character's headmaster is explaining the rationale of corporal punishment. Most of his lines uh, in that bit are taken verbatim from the Yapapai Indian strap match promo that Hulk Hogan did. So there's little little things like that for the uh, for the the terminally online and uh, wrestling saturated uh, you can get it for uh, i believe it's two pounds 49 for the kindle edition and you get a nice print on demand paperback uh, for 14.99 i don't know what shipping times are like at the moment due to the uh, the current uh, gestures to everything around him um but um you know it's, it's very nice quality and you get a lot of reading for your money as well it's a big chunky boy uh, has been uh, has been proclaimed as such by more than one person so um do check it out i make very little money off this but i'm uh, i'm just happy that uh, people are reading it and enjoying it so um yes that's about me what about uh, what about you guys um yeah if you want to um keep up to date with the various things that i get up to outside of this um you could probably start by um, listening to, uh, or well, you don't, you don't have to listen to it, but you can certainly uh, buy some and sling some money my way to keep me in tarts and fags. Uh, like, um, but uh, no, uh, just um, uh, go to handlinglament.bandcamp.com and uh, that will get you some music of mine. Uh, you can also read my writing um, primarily at twilightfurnitures.com, uh, which is my blog. Um, but um, I've got um, something that should be published by the time this comes out in New Socialist as well. So keep an eye out there. Uh, get me on twitter um at twilight fur if you want to find out about that it'll be a pinned post i, I imagine um am i doing anything else uh, oh yeah i've got a radio show on the neonhospice.com uh every uh first and third saturday um of the month that goes out at different times each uh, each week but um it's usually uh, in between eight or ten that it starts so again just keep up to date with my twitter and stuff for that if you want to find links to it or just go on the neonhospice.com um, on a saturday and uh, the schedule will be uh, will be up there i play weird music um uh, so yeah uh, if that's your bag then check it out um other than that um i think that's uh, that, that's everything from me so yeah i'll hand over to david um, yeah, I've got uh, some stuff as well. Um, I, I I currently run a Patrick Thistle podcast about the club. We recently did a documentary on the club's last European adventure on the Intertotal Cup. I don't pretend to have any sort of learned training in terms of podcast editing, as you can probably guess from this fucking thing. But um, I'm really incredibly proud of it, the fact that it's something I wanted to do for ages in terms of just the, the format and all that. And I just never thought I had the capacity of doing it. And then I set myself a task of doing it and we managed to do it. And it turned out really well. We've got lots of plaudits. And I would say from people I people that don't really follow football or you know, care about this or whatever, have listened to it and they've really enjoyed it. And, you know, it's just a really good uh, podcast. So I, as much as I'm loathed to say anything that I do is good, I would say if you're going to do any of the stuff you know, plug it, that I plug, I would listen to that because you, you probably will quite enjoy it, even if you have even a tertiary interest in football. Because it's a lot about the, the changing Europe at the time and you know football at the time and just 
generally wacky stories about like them losing their luggage on their first ever um, European trip for 25 years and just silly things like that. So I would definitely recommend that. You'll definitely get something like that. Uh, I also make music at fastbuck.bandcamp.com and bullyx and xwaddle.bandcamp.com. Buy stuff from there. Just download it for free. I don't really care. Yeah, as well as that, I, I commentate over games from Belarus in a segment called the Gazetta Football Belarus. Uh, my friend runs a pub quiz and he's been doing it online and he needs stuff when he's counting the answers. So um, we are commentating games. And he generally, like, we've got really gripped on it. It's great at the moment. Yeah, it's actually genuinely exciting. It's probably the most exciting league in Europe at the moment because there's actually stuff to play for and there's fans and it's, it's generally good. good. So we commentate and just sell stuff over that. That's it. BitTube. Have you ever heard of BitTube? I hadn't heard of BitTube before this, but apparently everyone else does copyright claims on us. Even Rootube. We get copyright claimed by Rootube. How is that even possible? <laughs> uh, I'll have to I'll have to consult Brother Mark's solicitors um, to see what we need to do for that. But yeah, so Gazetta Football Belarus, uh, Drawlers will draw the Party Pistol podcast, and fastbuck.bandcamp.com. Yeah, just, and just you know, wear a wear a mask, right? It's not hard. So just yes. wear a mask. Yeah, stop being a cunt. Wear a mask. Ah, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> fuck's sake, Jesus. It's it's going to be mad, right? I will say this. Seeing like three years when like somebody stumbles upon this podcast, the poor bastard. But if you are listening from the future, I'm really sorry, right? But like they're going to listen to this and they're going to be like, "Why the fuck did he keep talking about masks and like you know lockdowns?" Oh yeah, do you remember when we were on lockdown for like seven months? What the fuck was that? About? It's going to be like Peter and Kay nostalgia. I'm telling you, there's going to be <laughs> lockdown cafes. And like pop up boutique lockdown cafes where everyone's going to keep social distancing until like the year twenty twenty nine because it will be retro and hit. Like it'll be like the next Irish pub. Just, yeah, just, um, just Peter Kay going hydroxychloroquine. Oh, I'm going to be sick. <laughs> Not in my lifetime. I, I've already started remember the Peter Trap Kay and revival Trace? because I I've already started no, I don't the Peter Kay revival. Trace, I, <laughs> I've already started the Peter Kay revival because I watched an episode of a Phoenix Nights again the other night. <laughs> Which. Watched, uh, yeah. Possibly just because I'm from Manchester, but despite the the mild racism that's in the uh, some of the second season, I actually do still think it's quite funny in the first season. Um, um, I watched uh, Peter Kay in his own words on uh, uh, I think it was it Tuesday or something, and it is incredible because there's literally no Peter Kay content whatsoever. He did, he refused to be a part of it, but they'd already decided in the title, and they're just like Peter Kay in his own words, and it's all just speaking heads talking about him, and it's just brazen. Uh, yeah, well, that was episode number 22 <laughs> of the Pur Puri podcast. We've done all the plugs. We've put over Peter K for some reason. So uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to this. We've had a really good time recording it. I hope you've had a good time listening to it. And we will see you back again for episode 23. So goodbye and we're fucking out. Garlic bread. Talking to a guy at an indie show in Devon, uh, they uh, 
them like i i went to a show at my student union on my own because like none of my mates wanted to go and um i just got talking to some lads and it turned out their friend was in the opening match and they said how like when raven came over to work for this promotion and definitely did not get paid um like um <laughs> he was deputized to take raven around tesco <laughs> and I was like, did you see a was it like that WCW? Was it like that WCW segment where Canyon took Raven shopping for like to like a, a oh, man oh, store or something amazing. like that? <laughs> um, I, so I, I can just, I just when you say you didn't get paid, I can just imagine everyone getting their pay packet at the end and then just at the end going, "What about me? What about Raven?" <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's quite funny though because these, these. I mean, to be uh, fair, he works for he works for Paul E for like fucking you know eight years. He's basically a charity volunteer at this point, yeah. working for Amnesty International. Yeah. <laughs> these guys didn't. Uh, these guys didn't really like seem to know like much about their mate's wrestling career. Um, but like one of them went over. It to was the... Kenta Kabashi. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them went over to the merch table to have a look at the DVDs and came back like, guys, Josh has wrestled Doug Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that Kenta Kabashi has friends who are like that about his career, where they just know he's a wrestler? But they don't know that he's like probably like five wrestlers all the time. I reckon this this must be a thing because like when you think about it, even as big as like like as, when people are like wrestling famous, they're not actually famous, are they? No, like, you know what I mean. And I get the impression that when I was younger and stuff, people would, I would always get the impression. I used to always like think like you know, oh, but you know, in Japan it's a real sport and they take it seriously. Like everyone knows who these people are. But like I've heard, I know people that are Japanese like that have spoken to people in Japan. Who are like Western Japanese like wrestling fans and have gone over and have just been like, oh, so like you you guys know all about like who like Antonio Inoki is and like you know Tatsumi Fujinami and stuff, don't you? And, like Kenneth Kabashi, and they're all just like who? Uh, and like, oh, is that are they wrestling? Oh yeah, we don't really watch that. It's just it's you. It's got this. It's you know. It's like it's it's. Well, so I think it's like Daddy, giant haystacks. We know them, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much the equivalent of like. Um... Of uh, Stuart Lee's mum, like not being impressed with his career because he's not Tom O'Connor. <laughs> I, I I think there's a, there's a good comedy sketch in there of like uh, wrestling fans going over to Japan and then asking lots of like fifty year old Japanese dads about their memories of wrestling <laughs> and them all just talking about worlds of sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, I heard fifty year old dads only know about worlds of sport and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> Pat told me a story about how when they'd done a uh, one of these lucha shows at uh, York Hall with like some of the uh, some of the, like the legends like mostly AAA guys and uh, and stuff like that, and then they booked the after party at the Resistance Gallery, but they'd accidentally double booked with a medical fetish night, and so there's like loads of like fifty five year old men in like medical fetish gear asking El, uh, asking El Hero del Santo and Doctor Wagner Junior about Big Daddy. <laughs> Now, I, I, ironically, for those two very divergent things, the, the both of them combined is very much my kink. Yes, <laughs> Lucha and Medfair. Imagine, like, uh, yeah, funnily enough, which, which door would you like to meet most at a medical fetish night, with Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think. Um, Didn't Doctor Wagner Junior get invited think, to that? Well, exactly. Seems... He, is a, he, is a, he is, after all, a medical man. He's a qualified GP, yes. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think probably um, you, you you wouldn't want El Hijo del Santo because if it gets a bit messy, um, he's got you know it, it's difficult to get stains out of a costume that's that that light. <laughs> yeah, um, and he also he's so, got a bad back as well, so that's going to exactly. Be no so that, right. that 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 would be rough. <laughs> um, 
I feel like um, you know, I, I feel like a, a, a blue blue panther would would probably cover a lot of bases because if people get bored of the medical fetish, they can just do a furry thing with him. <laughs> it's uh, it's like that. that could uh, work. It's like that uh, post I did about like uh, uh, clapping for our carers at eight pm on Tuesday, and it was just like um, uh, Doctor <laughs> Bagnus Junior and Bad Nurse Nakamura and <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Isaac Yankum. <laughs> look, look, guys, 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 we can laugh about this all we want, but at the end of the day, there's no getting away from it. This is disrespectful to the clappers, okay? This is disrespectful, this is disrespectful to the clappers. But well, you know what, right? I'm, I'm going to take a stand right now. Yes. <laughs> well, I, 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 well I, you know, I recently got my pay rise, so I'm now paid just over 24,000 claps a month. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Did I tell you the story about um you know um when um they had uh, the the F- Foley uh Helena Cell uh, Triple H um uh, No Way Out was it? Yes. Uh yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, at the time I can't, I must have been like what 14 something like that 15 or something when it happened I, can't, I don't know maybe not that old even. Um and uh, it was it was on to, I, I had to turn the TV on very quietly in my bedroom at like 1 a.m. when it was on or whenever just uh, to you know to try and watch had the headphones in um and I was trying to keep it all down you know and I, I was so emotionally involved at the, in the match that if you watch it back, JR at the end, uh, when Foley's getting up and leaving the, the ring, he literally, JR said, implores you, implores the audience. He says, if you're not at home, stand on two feet, giving this man a round of applause, then I don't know what's wrong with you. And I was so taken by the moment that I thought, you know what? I don't care if my dad, if this wakes my dad up before work and he comes in and shouts at me, I'm going to stand up on my two feet and clap for this man. And it did wake my dad up and he was really upset. <laughs> Take my respects to definitely the last time you'll yeah. see Mick Foley in a wrestling match. I mean, can you imagine? He's, he's probably thinking, oh, God, he must be watching porn. And it knocks on the <laughs> knocks on the door, walks in, and just to see Mick Foley leaving a cage bloodied, uh, tr- tr- Triple H limping off, me with headphones on in front of the TV and my boxers just clapping. <laughs>